Welcome back, everybody, to the episode of the JST with Podcast, part of the Off the Ball Network. This is episode 203, dedicated to a man who on June 10th, 1990, who by beating Andre Agassi in the 1990 French Open, won his first and only career Grand Slam title. Mr. Andres Gomez. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading another episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Mr. Brandon Pope from the CW in Chicago to talk about his career in media and broadcasting and the Chicago Bears drafting Mr. Justin Fields. This interview is memorable for numerous reasons, but the main one is this is the first time I can remember interviewing someone and most of the interview is not surrounded by a sports topic. Yes, you all know by now, if you haven't, you'll learn a little bit about Jay's interviewing style. I like to go through people's careers, what they've done in media, what they've done in broadcasting, what when they figured out, when they found out this is the field or the career they wanted to hop into, and then some stops along the way. Well, this one, there are some stops along the way, and some of those stops aren't your typical things that you hear during one of Jay's interviews. Trust me, it's very, very memorable. It was enjoyable. Brendan and I sat down via Zoom on May 20th, and I can't wait for you to tap in, tune in, and listen to Brandon Pope as he talks about his career in media. There is no open today. Due to the length of the interview, I have decided to cut out the open or the opening comment or topic and hop right into my conversation with Mr. Brandon Pope. So without further ado, let's go ahead and take a trip to Chicago, Illinois to enjoy my fun conversation with Mr. Brandon Pope of The CW in Chicago. And joining us now here on the Jay Stevens podcast, it is Brandon Pope. He works for the CW in Chicago, but you can also find his work in Ebony, Revolt, Chicago Sun-Times, the YR Media. He is a big proponent of the NABJ in Chicago as well. Brandon, you got a lot on your resume, man. You're pretty busy, and I'm glad you're taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the podcast, man. How you doing? Hey, honored to get the invite. Honored to be here. Thanks for having me, and uh, can always make time to talk some sports and talk some fun. Absolutely. I was going back and looking through just some history, um, learning some things about you before coming on the podcast here. And I found that you are an Ohio guy, a Northeast Ohio kid, but somehow found himself living in Richmond, Indiana. I live in Indiana myself, small Richmond. How'd you wind up going from Ohio to Richmond? That's a great question. Just family moving a lot. (laughs) That's really what it comes down to, you know, uh, my my uh, immediate family, uh, you know, was in Ohio. My grandma was in Richmond, which is on the border of Ohio. Grandpa as well. My mom was born in Richmond, but her life took her more deeper into Ohio, which is where I was born. And as we moved around and my grandparents got older, uh, I ended up starting high school in Richmond, Indiana, as to, to be closer to them and uh, take care of my grandpa and stuff like that. So it became like a move closer and closer to Indiana. Like I went from like Cleveland, then we did, did some uh, did some Cincinnati, then Dayton, and literally like that whole lateral move. Um, so it, it's been cool to have kind of both the big town experience and the small town experience. Absolutely. Was that where in Richmond, was that where your um, thought or love for media was kind of birthed? It was in Richmond? 
In a sense, yeah, I'd say so. I think I've always kind of looked at media as something I could see myself in. When I was a kid, I was always, like most kids, watching Saturday morning cartoons. I was watching Nick News, and I was like, I see Elaine here. This is ways I could, you know, have some fun, um, whether it was voice acting or whatever. I was thinking all kinds of different ways. And in Richmond, I got to Richmond High School, and I really honed my skills. I didn't know it was journalism. I didn't know what exactly what the, the term was at the time. I mean, I was just kicking it with my friends, making music videos of popular hip hop songs and doing it <laughs> on industries and, you know, getting in trouble along the way, um, doing sports broadcasting, play by play um, and stuff like that for when I wasn't playing football. So it was a, it was just, I kind of fell into it. I, I started to really develop this love for it. And as I kept going and kept going, I just realized, okay, this is the thing for me. When I got to Ball State, in Muncie, Indiana, that's where I went to college. That's where it really, really ramped up. And there was a name for it and there was a focus. And I started to really see where I could make a career because um, the Ball State program is just so expansive that it allows you to kind of like dip and plug and play kind of wherever you want in this wide uh, media career type of thing. So that's kind of how it all uh, formed together. Kind of an interesting connection because I did see that you did go to Ball State. My uncle lives in Fort was born in Fort Wayne. He went to Ball State for a little bit, didn't finish there, but he w- went there, wrote for a small Black-owned newspaper, Black newspaper in Fort Wayne, Frost Illustrated. I believe David Letterman is a Ball State grad as well. And I considered early on, I was like, maybe if this is a route that I wanted to go, going to Ball State, because I've heard about all the good things that Ball State has as far as communications, media, journalism, their program, their school is really one of the best in the country based off what I have heard. And it's amazing that you're going from Northeast Ohio to Richmond to Ball State. And you talk about the sports at Richmond. And I was thinking you just seeing things about you, you might be the sports guy at Ball State. That might be a path you go. Was that kind of like, were you known as like the sports broadcast guy at Ball State while you were there? That's funny, man. I came in focusing on sports, right? Okay. I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I think the initial dream was ESPN Sports Center, watching Stuart Scott and stuff like that. I got to Ball State though, and as I talked to advisors and got involved in more programs, I realized there's some other stuff I'm kind of into um, and digging into. So I did something that for some reason was controversial on campus. Um, the, the, the different types of media get clicky for some reason. I decided to put a focus on doing both news and doing sports. So I joined sports media organizations on campus and I joined news media organizations on campus. Uh, I would do the pregame, halftime, postgame shows for football on the radio. And then I would, you know, anchor the news, you know, that evening. Like, you know, it was, and people for some reason didn't comprehend that I was trying to give myself as wide of a net and, and build this versatile skill set. Um, because honestly, what I tell everybody, when you kind of pigeonhole yourself into one thing, it kind of ends up hurting you in the long run. You look at the best sports broadcasters out there. I mean, the best of the best, including Stuart Scott and the people you see on TV today, a lot of their background is from doing news because the reality is there's not a lot of sports jobs out there in comparison to news. Sometimes Doing a news job is your entry level into the sports media industry. Just the way it is. Adam Schefter, news reporter. (laughs) 
those skills he uses to break news. Adrian Wojnarowski, same thing. So yeah, that's where I was going. Like, let me just get all the skills I can. And when I figure out exactly what I want to do or see something that really speaks to me, I got the skill set to do it. Um, so that's what Ball State was about. And Ball State allowed me to have that range. For some reason, it was controversial on campus to people that I was having that range. But it's like the school is great. It gives you these options. So why y'all being like this? <laughs> you know, Brandon, thinking about the college and just your the advice you were given um, to do both the sports and the news, that could have kind of been just you being trying to be a jack of all trades and not really knowing which route to go. You're saying, hey, I know this is kind of controversial. Y'all may not like it, but this might be the best route for Brandon at the time. And you can see now through your career, based off what you've done and been able to cover, that time at Ball State, Brandon, really helped you to where you are today. Oh, 100%. I mean, the versatility, the skill set, you know, doing uh, radio, but also doing TV, and then also doing stuff for the paper and doing stuff for a multimedia magazine at the same time and figuring out how to make stuff work for iPads. Like learning every single one of those skills made me more attractive going down the road. And in addition, I did other stuff too. I was a tour guide on campus. Um, you know, I was, I was involved in other clubs. I was minoring in Spanish. So I was trying to prepare myself for whatever I needed to get into because I love media. I love sports. There's things in the news I love, like politics and covering politics, you know? We're all multifaceted people. Nobody is just a, a one-trick pony or just has one thing they care about, right? We all, we all have, a, we have colors to us, right? And so I'm just, I like to paint those colors, and that's what I've done, and it sets you up. It helps you out. Uh, I'm a multimedia journalist now. I mean, I'm at a stage right now in my life where I'm doing TV, but I've mostly been a TV guy. But when people call me on, call me on to, for me to do it, I'm on the radio as well. And I'm doing uh, write-ups for Ebony and doing long-form pieces and columns and all kinds of stuff. Different styles and different skill sets. Not everyone has that range. So I'm thankful that Ball State gave me that. You mentioned the politics that you enjoy. And you got the chance to cover not just the 2012 election, but also the 2016 election. Did you do the 2021 as well? 2020 loosely. Okay. As, as, we, as we got into 2020, I got into more of an entertainment lifestyle and arts and culture reporting aspect, which is a newer lane for me. Uh, so my uh, political reporting was more to the wayside. There were times where I was interviewing politicians for sure, especially as we, as we led up to see local politicians as they're getting primaried. Um, so that was still a part of what I did, but I wasn't doing it as much as I was in 2016 and 2012, or I was actually on the ground and talking to voters, you know, and, and try to schedule interviews and all this kind of stuff. Different, kind of different lanes, right? Because as I got into 2020, I got into more of a host role. Okay. Bringing on newsmakers, I'm talking to them. Um, so you can call that coverage, but I just don't call it the same level of coverage. People that are boots on the ground, like I was back in the day, they're the ones really, that's, they're covering it. <laughs> like I was at, go ahead, go ahead. No, my bad, my bad. That's what you were saying. So I was going to say like 2016, I was at rallies, you know, I was at the, I went to cover three Trump rallies, uh, two Clinton rallies, Bernie Sanders rally, a Ted Cruz rally, back when he had Carly Fiorina as his uh, VP. 
uh, and, and that people would just say, everybody's like, what? <laughs> like, uh, you know, that, that's what I was doing in 2020. I'm sorry, 2016, whereas in 2020, I didn't go to any rallies. There was no, you know, and I'm in Chicago as well. Versus when I was in, in 2016, I was in South Bend, Indiana, which is on the border of Michigan, and I was covering Michigan and South, that Southwest Michigan area. So, you know, just different level of things. What were some differences amongst the people that you talked to in the crowds at the rallies from 2012 to 2016? Because those elections were different, different periods of the country. The cultures were changing. Social media had a more prominent role, I think, than it did in 2012. What were some differences amongst the people you talked to in the crowds between those two elections? Wow, I've never been asked that before. That's, that's a tough <laughs> one. Uh, it's tough to compare because it was just such different times, right? Uh, in 2012, I think people, I think th things were brewing in 2012 to what we ended up getting in 2016. I think things have been brewing since 2008 and a black president was elected. That's what, what, what I really think happened. 2012, things are still rising and getting there. So you heard, you know, the, the grumblings about Obamacare, the grumblings about, you know, uh, this feeling that white America is losing their grasp and, and they're just going to be like, this is just the sign of the end of white people. It was, it was weird. You got that sense in 2012, but it was quiet. It wasn't like an out loud type of thing. Um, and then 2016 happened, and it's, it just, you can't really compare it to 2012. It just, it was just so completely different. 20, 2012, you had <laughs> two candidates who were extremely competent <laughs> and extremely liked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on both ends. Mm -hmm. Conservatives mm -hmm. loved Mitt Romney for the most part, uh, or at least Republican voters, and Democrats loved Barack Obama, right? And there wasn't really much debate on either side about, you know, who, you know, and, and, and the debates were normal. It was, it was normal. Yeah. 2016 comes around, and you have two of the most unlike candidates in the history of probably any presidential election ever. The Democrats have Hillary Clinton and half of their base don't want her. And the Republicans have Donald Trump and half of their base don't want him. And, and you have people making these excuses and trying to re reckon with their vote or just deciding they're not going to vote at all. Um, I will say the difference for me in 2012, 2016, 2016, I was a better reporter. And I think in 2016, I was covering a different area. I was covering a battleground. Um, so when you're, when you're going around Michigan, and you're talking to people and you're really getting a sense of what they're thinking. It's a little different than being in Indiana where I was during college and covering 2012 and, you know, coming to Chicago, which is blue, which I did from time to time. It's a little bit, it, you're getting a different pulse and a different sense and different conversations. Uh, so this, this 2016 election, uh, you know, people were shocked at the result, right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I don't think any reporter who was, in Michigan, who was in Ohio or Wisconsin, I don't think any of them were surprised because what they were hearing um, and what they saw at the polls on polling day, you know, the excitement and stuff like that from the uh, from Trump's base and the, the, the Trump voters, it was pretty apparent that it was not going to be what people thought. To me, I wasn't shocked at the result. Um, I remember, I, I, and the biggest reason I don't want to get too deep into this whole. The biggest reason I wasn't surprised. 
I had talked to many people, like probably more than more than a dozen. Mm -hmm. They had the Trump pet sign outside their place. And they would, if, if I didn't bring it up, they'd bring it up. It could be a story that's not even political. I'm just, I'm just there covering something like, and they'd say, hey, you may have noticed the Trump pen sign outside. What do you think about this election? I'm like, oh yeah, it's wild. You know, I don't really have an opinion. I'm a journalist. And they're like, yeah, I just, you know, I'm not a big Trump fan, but that Mike Pence, you know, he's a good Christian conservative and I think he'll steer the ship right. Um, but I can't do Hillary Clinton. And I, I heard that sentiment so many times, um, which is why I tell people that if Donald Trump doesn't pick Mike Pence, he may not win. The turnout probably isn't as high. Him picking Mike Pence was probably the biggest swayer of what ended up happening. Um, the VP choices were pro this is pro it was probably an election, I'd say, where the VP choices mattered more. Mm -hmm. Than they ever will go into any time before or after. Usually VPs are an afterthought. Usually VPs don't sway people as to what they're going to do, which is why Hillary Clinton picked Tim Kaine, who nobody knew and was very safe <laughs> and smiley and, you know, not really, you know. If she would have done what Trump did, picked somebody totally opposite of her, who energized a part of the base that didn't like her, Maybe it's a more, like if she would have found a way to get a Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or somebody that's more left of her, that's more exciting and appeals to younger people and the people in the base that, you know, because that's what Trump did. The Trump campaign said, okay, clearly we have our base, but our base alone isn't going to win. We need <laughs> Republicans and conservatives and people who always vote red who are concerned right now about my rhetoric and behavior. We got to give them some assurance. So that, that whole 2016 was just such a different lane. We're going to talk about 2016 for decades and decades and decades. And that's why journalists are important because they're drafting that history for us. They really are. And we could talk all about the journalism and reporting, but your hosting role that you're currently in now, just from talking to you right now, it seems like that more that fits you, your personality, um, who you are as a person, and maybe just may, maybe your experience early on, Ball State, South Bend, Chicago, maybe that experience has kind of helped you be who you are now. But I feel like you as a host on the CW, that might be a show that people will enjoy that aren't just in Chicago, but around the country be like, hey, that Brandon Pope guy, I like what he's doing. <laughs> That's the hope, man. I, I just, I love having great conversations. That's really what it's all about. I'm I'm all about having great conversations, meeting new people. That's kind of why I got into it, because I'm a, I'm a social guy to a degree. I mean, I'm an introverted extrovert. So I enjoy talking to people, meeting new people, learning new things. I think that's how you really, I think that's how we make progress in this country is conversations. People don't have conversations, you know, and then we start having, you know, start having some issues. And uh, I think in times like this, especially these polarizing times, having nuanced conversations, mm -hmm. breaking down things and not just putting out hot takes is crucial. Cause it's so easy to take a 140 character tweet and judge a person completely off of that. Once you have somebody actually unspool it and really talk about it, be challenged with a different viewpoint that they may have not had before, I think that's, that's how you get some real good stuff. So that's what I'm all about in the end. Um, and so I'm excited for whatever the future holds with um, 
TW26. We're in a transitional period as we're uh, looking at some new programming and stuff like that. But I'm, I love uh, what I do. I love this city. You know, you mentioned something very interesting to me, especially me being in sports. I know you love sports as well. But no matter what area of life it is, you can like people sometimes now don't want to be challenged about anything. Uh, uh, something on something you see on TV um, during a debate show or maybe it's be a conversation conversational show. It could be sports center where they're mainly re- reporting on a lot of things. If somebody said something, it's via a report or via an, an opinion that challenges your thinking. So many people back away, shut you off, go to somebody else that goes and says something that they like. And I think right now, when you say the nuance and challenging your thought process, that's Brandon, how I think that people, sports fans, people that are just fans of just something like outside of sports, Marvel, we'll talk about that here in a second. You challenge your, th- your thought process and it makes you really a better person. Yeah, I wouldn't be who I am without people challenging my thought process. I think all of us, and look back at who we were in high school or college or even a year or two ago and can think about moments that we regret because there are things we may have said or done um, or thought or believed that now you look back, you're like, that's not me at all. Why? Because somebody challenged you. Somebody gave you a different viewpoint. You were confronted with different viewpoints and you grew from it and you changed your perspective. Well, I think it's, it's just so crucial. And there's many people, some of the loudest voices, who you can tell they haven't truly had those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when people have regressive views, that's usually the case. They haven't had those moments yet. Um, so I'm all about creating those moments. And if I can have those moments, great. Uh, you know, and if people and I'm 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 still a, a, a work in progress. We all are. So I I encourage people to challenge me. I still get challenged on things. You know, uh, we have a culture of you know people. We everybody wants to talk. Um, like uh, there's a bunch of different dating debates that happen like every single day. Kevin Samuels is now a thing. You know, and then we have debates about can we consume media from problematic figures and you know, what, what line is there, right? All of those conversations are necessary and they're gray things. It's not really black or white. So I encourage people to have those conversations, not judge others, but just be open and honest and real. You mentioned interviews and think people you've talked to are just being challenged. And I think I saw on your Twitter header or the picture of you and Judge Joe Brown, was that correct? Uh, Judge Mathis, yeah. Judge Mathis, sorry. I saw I, I saw the robe. I was like, oh, maybe it's <laughs> Judge Joe Brown, not thinking it was a, no, another one. Joe Brown's always the first one that comes to my head. Yeah, I wish. I'd like to be Judge Brown. <laughs> what was that conversation like between you and Judge Mathis? That was great. Judge Mathis, I talked to him a few times and uh, kicked it with him a few times. We have a great partnership with our station and him. Um, Chicago is one of the, like, he films a show here in Chicago. So Chicago is uh, his home away from home in a sense. Um but we had a great conversation too, just about you know the Flint water crisis, um, what's going on in Michigan, uh, what it's been like for him these decades on TV, you know, and and what it takes to put on a TV show, um, you know, and how even the conversations we had after that interview itself about what it takes to do so in a pandemic, um, and his thoughts too on just justice, criminal justice how to change the system. Um, he's a very, very smart brother. 
and he's been fighting for us for a very long time. Judge Mathis is really that dude. Um, so any conversation you have with Judge Mathis is going to be a really solid one. And he's also just a great guy. You can kick it with him. He's cool. So we had a great conversation. I can't remember every detail of it because it was probably, that was definitely before the pandemic, two, two, two summers ago, a summer ago, but he's a great guy. And we talked since. We've had some Zoom interviews and stuff like that. Um, always, always fun. Always fun. If you could, I'm curious now because I interview people like yourself all the time, and I like I like hearing people's stories. So, who is somebody else you've interviewed that was that you know like you had a kind of an aha moment? But then, what was an interview that maybe didn't hit the way you thought it would? Hmm. I may not give the, the the didn't hit the way I thought it would one just because okay. I don't want to um, ruffle any feathers. Um, ultimately, the, what I always understand is that, like like anybody, celebrities and people who are public figures are just like us. They have days where they're on. They have days where they're off. They have days where they feel it. They have days where they don't. And taking a bunch of questions, sometimes the same questions over and over and over and over again. Yeah, it gets pretty tiring, gets pretty exhausting. So I never take it personally. I'm never offended at any interaction I have with a celebrity or public figure who is um, just, not, just not into it. And it happens. There's days where I'm not into it. <laughs> been there, bro, I've been there too. You know, we all have those days, so I completely understand. People that I've enjoyed really, really talking, really enjoy a lot of my conversations stuff like 10.1 in particular but I love the ones where I can just really kick it with somebody right like it doesn't feel like I'm stepping up on stairs and talking to a person it feels like we're like we're like here um Anthony Anderson recently was awesome that guy was a just a just down-to-earth type of dude mm-hmm. candid real honest you don't feel like you're getting media answers um, there's some people like Tay Diggs. Tay Diggs is always great, you know, um, real, funny, goes with the flow, uh, <laughs> ask how you're doing. Um, man, there's just too many. GLC and Twista, uh, you know, you could go down the line. There's so many great people who really have, have had some fun moments with, even Ice Cube, you know, Ice Cube. <laughs> I was, that's probably the only interview I've ever been intimidated about. Where I was actually scared. <laughs> Bro, I see him all the time. He seems like a guy that he'd be easy to talk to, but you've seen him do so much stuff on TV. That's where, like, the mental intimidation may come in. That's part of it. And also, he, he's he got a resting face that's very much – he's still NWA. Like, you know, like, forget Are You There Yet and all this type of stuff. Like, Ice Cube is still Ice Cube. yeah. And he's a rap legend, and I, I interviewed him in person, and just like, got the shades on, wearing all black, got the Raiders stuff, and he just, you, you're like, man, I don't want to, oh, I don't want to offend Ice Cube. I got to be careful. I don't want to make him upset. <laughs> like, I, I was like hyper-analyzing every single part of the interaction, because I also seen like previous interviews he had done. I saw a thing where this dude took a picture with him and tried putting his uh, arm on his shoulder, and he's like, nah, nah, don't do that. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, so 
something I never do, which is like little things like that get in your head. You're like, okay, watch where you're walking. Watch, watch how you shake his hand. Make sure you, you <laughs> like, yep, you're really like thinking through. So Ice Cube, yeah, man, that one, that one had me nervous for sure. <laughs> We're getting to some sports talk here in a minute. Just some, some Justin Fields, Chicago, to talk what the what the fans and what you're hearing out there. But you did something that I don't know if many people would really realize you've done it or how difficult it would have been. We see these marathons on ESPN, 24-hour marathons for the fantasy football or ES, or NFL or whatever it is. They want to get around-the-clock coverage of something. But you did a 59-hour Marvel marathon. Where did that where did that thought process or that idea come from? <laughs> uh, came from partially my boss. I was thinking about it, um, and I had mentioned it in passing. Didn't think it would ever be a thing that the station would pay me to do. And <laughs> sure enough, <laughs> like yeah, we should do this for TV. I'm like oh okay, well let's do this. And we started strategizing, and uh, you know she bought the tickets right there because we tried to get AMC to give it to us for. The press, you know, for free. They said, nah. Uh, <laughs> so we we paid the money for the tickets for me and a photographer. Um, and yeah, man, 72 hours. The catch was we added an additional challenge for me to up the stakes and make it more reality TV. Okay. I could not eat anything outside of the theater. Had to eat every, all my meals had to be inside the theater. Had to literally stay inside the theater for 72 hours. Everybody else there, the general public in attendance, they could come and go as they please. They can go out to eat. They can go get Subway. They can do what they want. Me? I had to survive, okay? I had to survive that nasty, gross theater with these people that aren't, aren't doing good hygiene. They smell like, it's hard to smell like feet and butter. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> That's a yeah. horrible combination. Terrible combination, man. Um, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Being able to like, do live shots and talk about Marvel and talk with fans. And they're all as excited as I am. Cause we're all, it's all, it was all leading up to Avengers Endgame. Okay. So that's the grand finale. Um, and we're going to be the first to see Avengers Endgame. So everyone's just like, you're going down this road of watching every film. You're remembering, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Cause it had, it had been a while since I saw movies like the first Iron Man or um, you know, the first Thor and things like that. So you're getting those good reminders. And once you get all the way to the end and you see Avengers Endgame, I think you've seen like those clips of like the audience reactions. Yeah. It was like that in my theater. People were up on their feet. People were, were yelling, screaming, crying. It was a religious <laughs> experience. <laughs> I wouldn't change it. because It was incredible. Was it 59 hours or 72? 72. I don't know where I got 59 from. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Maybe I'm getting my math wrong. Felt like 72. 59 hours official. Okay. But that's two and a half days. So for me, it felt like three days. But two and a half. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> not sure Not sure where I got 59 from. I heard it on a, on a podcast you were on. It's 59. You're right. Okay. It's 59 for sure, officially. I just got out. So for I guess technically for me, it was 72 hours for the, the entire workday, if you want to be honest. Because yeah. as soon as the movie was over, we had to flip a package for TV. And we had a, I was on a morning show. So uh, the movie ended around, what, 11.30. Had to be edit, editing and get the piece together. 
live on TV at like five or six o'clock in the morning. Okay. So I didn't really sleep. <laughs> so I add on some hours because I'm just like that was a long, that was a long day. <laughs> but it was officially 59 hours to get through all the week. Okay. Okay. That that must be where I got the 50, the 59 from. You're in Chicago. We could talk all about your entertainment, all about your current job, previous jobs, all that stuff. But there's a guy that just came from Ohio State, a school football team you love, enjoy watching play, that's now the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. And I have high hopes for him. I think he can be really good in the NFL if utilized properly. But I'm curious what you're hearing in Chicago amongst the people about the Bears drafting Justin Fields. Oh, man. Justin Fields getting drafted. I don't think people expected it. There's a lot of skepticism of the Bears here in Chicago for good reason. What Ryan Pace did when he drafted Mitch Trubisky, trading up to draft Mitch Trubisky, is one of the most infamous Chicago moves ever. And so many ineptive moves have been made since. And it's been clear that Trubisky's not the guy, that there's a clear, glaring issue at quarterback for so long. That Bears fans have just gotten to this point of getting hopeless when it comes to that. So we see this tweet, Andy Dalton, that the Bears put out, they say it's QB1. Woo, that got ratioed so hard. So hard. It did. And I, I had this thing where I felt like, okay, we're reaching a breaking point here for Bears fans. Where the Bears, this draft is pivotal. It can make, it can make or break the fan base. It can make or break whether people are that invested in the Bears anymore because they're tired of seeing averageness or below averageness at quarterback every other team in the in the league has had an elite quarterback even the Detroit Lions had Matt Stafford <laughs> why can't the Bears get quarterback right so going into the draft you know there's talk and rumblings okay the Bears need to trade up the Bears will trade up that became a question will they are they smart enough to make a good football decision here they did and I think that people were elated. I heard people saying this was, one, we don't see a black quarterback in Chicago often. So many black Chicago was elated because they're like, yo, I heard people say this is the, the biggest moment in black Chicago sports history. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> Somebody said it's the second greatest. Um, I heard other people say it's the second greatest moment in sport, Chicago sports history. Um, or... It's the, I also heard, I think it was John Kaplan that said this. It's the best Chicago sports moment since 2016 when the Cubs won the World Series. Like, so people hyped that this was a big hyped elation type of thing. People were joyous, celebrating. I was getting texts like crazy. Yeah, some of the same homies of mine who hate Ohio State, <laughs> who love to troll me about Ohio State, <laughs> were on my line, like, oh, we got Justin Fields. Oh my gosh. I'm like, oh, now, now y'all, now y'all on the team. Now, okay. <laughs> now you're because they they were they were some of them just just a few months ago were like, oh yeah, Buckeye quarterback is gonna pan out. I was telling them, oh, it makes no sense that Justin Fields is dropping. Oh wait. So Ohio State quarterback's probably not gonna pan out. Now they're happy we got an Ohio State quarterback. <laughs> but yeah, overall, everyone's happy. You just want to see. People are, are on the fence. Do you start him game one? Do you give him time? That's going to be debated. I think he can beat Andy Dalton in camp. 
I think even if he beats Andy Dalton in camp, he should sit. Because I would not put – that first game of the season is against the L.A. Rams. I would not put a rookie quarterback against that defense. Mm-mm. Wouldn't do it. Unless it's garbage time. No, man, I wouldn't either. I've actually – I host a daily podcast, uh, Locked on Buckeyes, the Locked on Podcast Network, and I've been on the record numerous times stating – I hope that Chicago lets Phil sit. I hope that they don't throw him into the fire. Like so many people, fans might say, oh, he's automatically going to be the better quarterback day one. Re- week one, we automatically should have him come in and play. But I also have said, I don't know what you think about this, Brandon, but I don't think Fields would have been the quarterback he was year one at Ohio State if he didn't sit year one at Georgia. If he's not behind Jake Fromm, I don't know if he goes to Ohio State transfers and really has that early success or amazing start to his career at Ohio State if he doesn't sit there behind Jake Fromm. I think Fields is a more talented quarterback than Jake Fromm. I know Jake Fromm is a very good quarterback and very experienced quarterback at Georgia. But that experience, I think, and Fields seeing how Fromm not just played, but how he carried himself really helped him play and carry himself in the best way he could at Ohio State, Brandon. And I think that him sitting is a wise decision for Matt Nagy and that Bears organization. Yeah, 100%. I kind of, I've never really thought about the the time at Georgia as much being an impact. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, I think we've reached a point in the NFL where it's all about trying, the pressure is even higher for a rookie quarterback than ever before. Uh, it used to be you draft a rookie quarterback, you let them sit for a little bit, and it's fine. Or if they start early, you give them, you give them a leash, a wider opportunity to, to be successful. So like Peyton Manning, right, was drafted to one of the worst teams possible. It's funny because I say that all the time about Peyton Manning and what happened there. Oh, yeah. The dude was drafted. To, he was drafted number one for a reason. The Colts were awful. O-line, terrible. Defense, terrible. They draft him. They throw him to the Wolves. He sets the rookie record and kept it for a long time of most picks. I think he still has it, right? I think he still has it, yeah. Yeah, for a rookie. Like, he – so if you would have just looked at that rookie season and said, oh, looks like Peyton Manning's a bust. Mm. Yank him, trade him, or draft another quarterback. <laughs> we don't hear about Peyton Manning ever. You know, like, it, it becomes – they just he got discarded. But what did the Colts do? The Colts said, okay, <laughs> you had that rough season, year two, year three, year four. And you saw progression, and, and he got to be elite, and he became this animal of the game. We don't let these kids do that anymore. Look at Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold might be good. I don't think he's good, but he might be. I, I think he was overdrafted to begin with, to be honest. I, I, I thought he was overrated in college. Mm-hmm. The two games that I saw in, in person of him, he threw some picks that were crazy. One of them being an Ohio State game, the other being Notre Dame. So I was already suspect. But hey, you're on the Jets, and the Jets are terrible. Any quarterback is probably going to struggle on the Jets. Like, I just, you know, the, the leash is gone. Where do I think that leash went away? I think it was earlier than we think. This is going to sound wild. I think the year that Joe Flacco and Mark Sanchez came into the league, and even before that, when Matt Ryan came into the league, mm-hmm. I think that started something. 
because if, if you remember, Matt Ryan out of Boston College went to the Falcons and was pretty good. Yeah. Early. Yeah. He, he had a good rookie year. So like, oh, okay. And he became solid. Sanchez and Flacco, they had decent rookie years where they were the starter and they weren't terrible, right? So everyone's like, okay. And the Jets were con- like, they were like going to AFC championship and he was a rookie. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where it started. This pressure, we're like, okay, now if you draft a quarterback, they better be able to at least be average uh, day one. And the truth is, that's just not the reality because it's all about the team you get drafted to. The Jets had a situation where they things lined up in place and they became a contender. They had a great defense. They had Darrell Revis, you know? I, the Ravens, that's a good organization. <laughs> a Super Bowl organization. Joe Flacco went to it, and it turned out they don't really expect much of a quarterback there anyway. So I just, I, I just hope that Justin Fields is given the opportunity to succeed or the opportunity to fail but he needs that opportunity. And the leash is shorter on black quarterbacks. Man, way too short, man. Way too short. Way short. They yank him quick. Um, and I think uh, you got to give Justin Fields time. Because I, 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 I told a lot of my Bears fans this. I personally was not – I would have preferred that Justin Fields get drafted to, like, a Niners. Happy he didn't go to the Jets. Whew, that would have been bad. Yeah. He's probably he was the second best quarterback in the class. I don't know why he dropped. He was second best quarterback in the class, but I'm glad he dropped. I wish it was the Niners, but the because the Bears don't have weapons. I don't see any weapons right now for him to really target. I mean, yeah, the receiver Miller is I, but he doesn't have like an elite tight end, elite receiver. So. Offensive line's getting better. They drafted offensive line. Let's see what the running backs are like. Let's see how that works out. It's a, it's a lot of wait and see. Um, if that team, as I'm used to it being, isn't set up for a quarterback to succeed, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about that. So we'll see, man. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful and optimistic. I know for a fact Fields has the talent. Yeah. It's a matter of will this coaching staff develop him? Will they work with them um, and give him the tools to succeed? Absolutely. Brandon, if you could, I always give this opportunity to any guest that's on the podcast. Just leave us with some final words, if you like, either about your current career um, hosting, either your reporting that you've done, something in sports, Chicago-related, country-related, doesn't matter. Just any kind of final thoughts you love to leave the people here on the podcast. Oh, man. Final thoughts. Mm. Sports-wise, A, you know. We've reached the point, I made this point on, on another podcast, um, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama was the big three-person horse race. I think Ohio State and Clemson were closer to each other, and then Alabama was on a, on a thing. I think it's very clear now that Ohio State has surpassed Clemson. Mm-hmm. But now Clemson is a clear three. Okay. I know Clemson fans are going to hate that. I'm sorry. But once you get blown out in two straight college football playoff games – and Ohio State was one of them. <laughs> That's what happened. You play in a weak ACC. So now it's Ohio State, Alabama. It's a battle. And it's a big battle. Bama is so elite for a reason. Ohio State's elite. 
We're going to see now if Ohio State, Ryan Day in that program, as they lose Justin Fields and lose all this talent, can make that next step and get up there to give a knockout punch to Alabama. We're going to see. I, I, I personally believe the championship game we saw, unfair to completely judge that game with the COVID stuff that was going on in the Ohio State program and some pieces that were missing on the offensive line and things like that. But hey, in the end, Ohio State did not compete with Alabama. They destroyed Clemson. Let's see if in the future, all things equal, we can do the same thing. Um, we're going to find out. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited for college football this year. I'm excited for Michigan to lose. Again, I think hardball is going to be probably um, let go mm -hmm. from Michigan mm -hmm. after this season when he loses to Ohio State again. Um, if he doesn't beat Ohio State, he's definitely out. He hasn't <laughs> beat Ohio State. Like, bruh, <laughs> bruh. You know, I think, I, I think that restructuring of his contract and that that lighter buyout was partly because he hasn't won. And if he loses this year, the town Ohio State has the lack of well, everybody leaving Michigan kind of is kind of like the writing on the wall, bro. If you don't win, you may have to go back out west to coach a San Diego State or somebody at that level, get them to do some, some good before coming back and trying to do another power five or power school. I mean, maybe a group of five school may hire him. But I, I, I just don't see it. I don't see it at all. Man, Indiana and Northwestern are better football programs in the Big Ten than Michigan. There was a time, even though I hate Michigan, I'll say it. There was a time where that would be ludicrous to say. Because mm -hmm. supposedly Michigan's supposed to be in that elite territory, class of the Big Ten, right? It's one of the elite brands. Indiana. In Northwest, <laughs> in football. We both have lived in Indiana. I do now. You have before. We understand Indiana football is nothing at all. That's just Antoine Randall. Like, this is, this, is, this is wild to me. And they're getting some great transfers. Like, Indiana's going to be good next year again. And Northwestern is, you know, that defense last year was, was awesome. Okay, nasty, nobody's nasty defense. You have two corners drafted in the first round. Your defense was, was elite. Um, Michigan? <laughs> like, Northwestern's got a better shot at winning the Big Ten <laughs> than Michigan does. Like, take a look in the mirror and say, when did we let that happen? When did we let that happen? You, it's, just, it's, it's wild to me. I love it. I'm, it's laughable. I know you said final word. I guess gave you a bunch of words there because I had college football in my mind. But yeah, it's it's going to be a fun season. And overall, just like thanks for having me on the podcast. I, I encourage everyone follow your dreams. Um, don't take no for an answer. Keep the lower the shoulder, power through. Don't get involved in petty drama and back and forth. Just kind of keep the blinders going. Keep your focus. And if you ever have any questions or need some advice, hit me up. Epoke TV on Twitter and Instagram. You said it before I was I was going to. That was my next thing. Let people know where they can connect with you on social media. But you already said it, Brandon Pope. This has been a lot of fun. Um, you're honestly the first guest that's not sports-centered, either sports media or an athlete. So it's kind of fun to just chop it up about things that aren't sports-related, can get a listen or something else to enjoy on their drive or while they're at the gym. Um, but Brandon Pope, I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the podcast, man. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, man, it sure was. Hey, go Lakers, too. I'm and Team Braun all the way. So, hey, let's, let's see how they do. <laughs>
Normally, I don't mention the date that interviews are conducted. But with Brandon mentioning LeBron James in the Lakers, at the end of our interview, I thought it was fitting and appropriate to relay the date that the interview was. Because LeBron James, the Lakers, they're no longer in the playoffs. Like I've heard one person on the radio recently, he is happy LeBron in the Lakers. Well, LeBron is not in the playoffs anymore. Many Lakers fans, excuse me, many LeBron's fans, they're upset. They're trying to figure out what to do. But what I think we are able to do right now is enjoy really good basketball. Because we have seen all year long the Lakers have had issues. And it's not just the injuries to LeBron and Anthony Davis. There are other issues with the team to make that team really not a team that many people should have thought would have made a deep playoff run. Let's enjoy the playoffs, the basketball, without the Warriors and LeBron in the NBA playoffs throughout the duration of this year's postseason. I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be enjoyable. And it will let us see what is coming next and what we can enjoy for the next 5, 10, 15 years. Because LeBron, LeBron won't be here very long. And the Warriors that run they had, that ain't coming back anytime soon. Thank you guys so much for listening and enjoying another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens07. You can follow Brandon on Twitter at bpoketv. You can also send all of your emails to jstevenspod at gmail.com. Remember to always subscribe, rate, and review. It's a great way for people that are searching for a new podcast to listen to to come across this one. Then remember to always get the word out or the podcast via word of mouth. The things that we enjoy in life, we are almost willing and somewhat wired to tell other people about. So no matter if this was your first episode or if you have been listening since episode number one, be sure to let people know about the podcast. This has been episode 203 of the Jay Stones Podcast. I will see you next time.